All right, who can tell me, before our study on Revelation that we have planned tonight, since it involves some aspects described here in the chorus of this hymn, um, what maybe isn't very accurate in the description of your time in heaven according to the chorus? Not the verses, we're not going to get to those, just the chorus. Who can help me? Yes. Manna. Does the Bible say you're going to be eating manna in heaven? Why does it always keep coming up that we're going to eat manna? It's the bread of from heaven. Okay? We have a lot of concepts of this. Um, interesting, Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. Uh, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. And that wasn't a comparison, that was a contrast. And so what he was saying was that that was manna that God gave them, but I am the bread of heaven. And so... Um, no manna, sorry. Uh, in fact, what will you get rather than manna? Let's see how for you how well you know your stuff here. Fruits. And technically, nuts count as fruits. So I'm I'm in a contention there'll be nuts there. Well, Pastor Leachman will be there. So, <laughs> uh, so lots of fruits and nuts will be up there. Um, no, not the donuts. Sorry, I doubt that. Okay, other than that, um, any other things interesting there? Fountain. Um, technically, is the fountain correct? Technically, we'll be drinking from the river that flows out of Christ, who, and we're going to talk about that tonight, um, that is the fountain of life. And we're going to look at how God is using instruments to do his, perp- to do his will and purposes as described biblically. But... Um, you will be, uh, oh, the other one. Are you living on a mountain? Not you guys, sorry. Where are you going to be living? In the city. You're going to be city folk. Sorry. Not real sorry, but I don't know why I'm apologizing. It's going to be a pretty good place to be. So we're going to talk a little bit about your eternal state, and we're going to try to get rid of some wrong images, um, because we're coming down to the close of Revelation. Now remember, um, I have this week, and next week I would like to handle anything from the whole book uh, of your questions and such um, before we get to, and then of course we'll have a week off at, uh, not off, we're going to move it to the Bahamas, we're going to have our uh, Sunday night service there, and um, uh, is the plan of mice and men, so we'll see what God has in store. But our plan is to have Sunday night up there, and then we can have Labor Day up there as well. Um, for those of you who want to spend the night up there and uh, Saturday, sun, Sunday afternoon. By the way, um, I probably should tell, the Bigelows have no idea where the Bahamas are, and they probably heard it twice now. Okay, very good, good. They've got filled in on that place. Um, it's gotten quite a reputation of late that I've heard, so... And up there, so uh, everyone knows that location. Um, I think that's the Brummett's fault. They put up a sign, the Bahamas, and now all the neighbors up there, I say, they don't know me, they just know, oh, the Bahamas. That's you. So, looking forward to that. Well, if you'll turn your Bibles to Revelation. We're going to finish up 21, get into chapter 22. 
and we're going to try to clarify and distinguish different eternal states um, because I find that there's a lot of confusion among God's people about what our eternal state really is and the intermediate places also described as our eternal state sometimes, but certainly we know them as being temporary um, because we are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. And so let's go ahead and read through this passage. Um, it is probably one of the fullest descriptions in God's word um, of this, of what awaits us in terms of, uh, of the specifics involved. So chapter 21 will begin uh, in verse 9, and we'll read through uh, chapter 22, verse 5. Okay. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. But I got through those. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the Lamb of God and of, from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore... Twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the Lamb of God and of but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They shall they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign 
forever and ever. All right. Uh, very powerful description of the New Jerusalem. And again, this is in the context of the new heaven and the new earth that we looked at in verses 1 through 8. And so when we talk about the, there's a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth are passed away, um, that we find that in the midst of this, there is this new Jerusalem. But the new Jerusalem has a name, a title, if you will. And that title is what? It's the bride. So when we look at the new Jerusalem, who are we referring to? Not only a place that definitely has construction that you can measure and look at, but it also has a designation. Um, who is the New Jerusalem, essentially? It, it states it pretty clearly. It, it refers to it as the bride. Look at the bride coming. Um, it is not the bride, but it is the residence of the bride of Christ. Um, the bride is described in verse 9, the lamb's wife. And so we are the bride of Christ, uh, and this is a designation that has been largely reserved for the church. Uh, and so when we look at New Jerusalem, we're looking at our residence. And so we're looking at a, a distinguishment here a little bit. And we're going to talk about that as we describe the New Jerusalem. Uh, and so we have looked at several intermediate steps getting to the new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. And we want to go through those intermediate steps just to make sure that we don't get them confused. But in our terminology, we often do. Um, normally, we don't, we, we do, we get this confused too. Um, and we think of, it's interesting to talk to people what they think the eternal state is like. And, and the verbiage they use, they get from us. Okay, we're, we're the guilty parties, um, and to some degree, because we've muddied these waters, because we have mixed these up. So let's go ahead and talk about a few places um, before we get into the description of the New Jerusalem, just to make sure that we are clear on them. Uh, the first place we're going to talk about, and I'm going to do these in chronological order, um, is Hades. And that might say, well, wait a minute, that's where you start? with the intermediate state of both, really, of both believers and unbelievers, is a place that the Bible calls Hades. And when Jesus describes this place in the, in the, the account, not a parable, very different than the parables of uh, Lazarus and the, the rich man Lazarus, he describes this as having two areas. And so Hades is divided up into two places. There is a place of torment, Right? So we know there's a place of torment, and there's also a place that's described as Abraham's bosom. Okay? And so in between these two, it says that there's a great gulf that none can cross. But it is evident that they can hear each other across this gulf that none can cross. Because the man in torment cries out and says, can you at least send Lazarus over and dip the tip of his finger in some water and put it on my tongue that I might have some relief from this torment? And we know that, so it's a hot, fiery torment. And uh, this is one part of Hades um, that we also describe as Gehenna. And Gehenna is simply a, a Hebrew term referring to a garbage pit that's on fire. 
And so that's where you, that outside the city, there's, a, there's usually a pit or a large valley that everybody throws their garbage in. There's often fires and, things, and worms and things like that in there. So when Jesus says where the worm doesn't die and the fire never goes out, um, he's kind of referring to this. Didn't spell that very well, so I'm going to erase it. I need more room anyway. And so this is that place of temporary torment. And so earlier we saw that death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And so Hades gave up this dead. Now, that's half of the place, or we don't really know logistically the the spatial requirements, but that is this portion of it. Then the other portion is called Abraham's bosom. And in Abraham's bosom was where Lazarus was what? Was there. It's also termed paradise. There's also that term that you'll hear. And so you'll hear the term Gehenna. um, And and some will talk about hell um, or that place of torment in Hades. And then you'll have paradise or Abraham's bosom. It was a place where the uh, believers would go in anticipation and waiting for the work of Christ on the cross. These are Old Testament saints that would go there. um, And that is a place of comfort. And hence the idea that... that, uh, that you're being held, that, you're, that you are the children of Abraham. Not necessarily that you were physically of the lineage of Abraham, because certainly there were many who were not of the lineage of Abraham who were in that place. Um, but it is designated based upon the foundation of faith uh, in, in God that is exemplified by Abraham. And so we have this place in Hades... And so when we talk about Hades, we often only think of it as the place of torment, but it's also this place. And when the Bible says that Jesus descended into Hades to set captivity free, we're talking about these people being held not, uh, we wouldn't think of this as captivity. Um, this is a, a place not of torture or, or of, of, of maltreatment, um, but it is a place that is not their final destination. And so Christ goes in, and this is what he's addressing here, that he is, and that the Bible talks about this, this time where Jesus does this work, and, and he empties this. Okay, so when death and Hades give up the dead that are in them before the great white throne, it's only this part because Jesus Christ has already applied his sacrifice to that side. And so that is the first after-dead place in the Bible that we really have described. Now, of course, we also know that uh, following this, there is something else going on. Um, that we're going to have this resurrection slash uh, catching up of the saints. And what we often think of as, well, we're going to go to heaven uh, with Christ. And certainly, uh, if you define heaven as being with Christ, then you are correct Okay, um, and so we have a place that we describe. Um, I'm going to say use the term little h heaven. Okay, uh, for this one, and this is really the the place where we are involved in several facets that we study in Revelation. We have the the judgment seat of Christ. Boy, I'm ahead of myself. We have the judgment seat of Christ, and this is where we arrive. We saw that in chapter 7 where the church arrives, 
and they are given the white robes, and uh, he wipes away their tears. And we have a description that is very similar in terms of the people and what happens to them as what we just read here, where there is no night, there is, there is no crying, that it's, it's taken care of, that we are with Christ from that point forward. Now, this place is where we will be while on earth what's going on. We have the outpouring of God's wrath for seven years. And so for seven years of wrath on the earth, um, and some of you will describe this period of time as hell on earth, but, um, and essentially that's what it is. It is the placing of, of uh, the wrath of God being transferred, if you will, from this place or extended from this place to earth. And many of the benefits that we enjoy today of this earth will be removed largely. Uh, through the course of the trumpet judgments, through the thunder judgments, and through the bowl judgments that we have looked through throughout Revelation, that there are going to be seven years of the outpouring of God's wrath that is simply uh, overwhelming. Um, large portions of the world will die. Some, Many will want to die and won't be able to, um, but we have this description. And so while we are in this place, we will be... Um, Involved with that, we also have a second event happening up here, right? And that is the marriage supper of the Lamb, um, which is a little bit later on in this period of time. But within that, we have the marriage supper, the judgment seat of Christ that the church is involved with in this place um, while the seven years of wrath are, are being going on on earth. Now, we got through the seven years of wrath chronologically. What's the next thing? The next thing that we studied was the Millennial Kingdom. And this is going to get a little weird again, because we have a lot of confusion. In the Millennial Kingdom, we have the reworking of the geography, if you will, of, the, of Israel. And in that midst, we will have a little n, <laughs> a lowercase n, we will have a new, as in a different geography, Jerusalem. And yes, we will have, during this time period, um, the saints there. We will be ruling and reigning with Christ on the earth during that thousand years. Millennial simply means a thousand years. Okay? That's all it means. And so there will be a new Jerusalem. There will be some new geography, but we're still on the old earth, Correct? But again, as we studied during the Little Kingdom, all of the consequences, um, by and large, will be suspended on earth for that thousand years so that men don't really experience the consequences of sin. doesn't mean that everyone there is a saint, because they aren't. In fact, from what we can tell, the only ones who turn to Christ are those who, uh, of national Israel, recognize Jesus as their Messiah, having been... Uh, hunted for the last three and a half years of the seven years of the outpouring of God's wrath. And so we have the old earth is still there in the millennial kingdom. It hasn't been destroyed. Christ is ruling and reigning there, suspending the consequences of sin for a thousand years. Satan is in a bottomless pit, and we are with Christ here at this Jerusalem. But again, this is not the final place that we will be at. It is not the new Jerusalem. Um, 
it is simply for a thousand years. We'll reign with him there. And this is a very unique time period. I mean, if you think about it, in addition to all the other things we studied, these people are going to have some kind of contact with resurrected people. Uh, and that seems really odd to us, um, to how does that work, um, that here we have redeemed, resurrected people, ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years, and there are still physical people alive on the earth who haven't gotten new bodies and things like that. And so um, kind of an unusual period of time for a thousand years that will rule and reign. Of course, when a thousand years has ended, we just got done studying that a few weeks ago, Satan is, must be released. Very important act of God to satisfy the proof of the justice of what is about to come. And so um, we have the battle of Gog Magog, and then as we studied the old earth and the heavens, so this place, this place, and I would contend this place, the old heaven, old earth, and old Jerusalem, even though in its new setting for a thousand years, um, will be done. They'll be gone. So they will pass away, the Bible says. Peter tells us that it will melt with fervent heat. And so those will all be dissolved. And now we come to the eternal state. And we have, again, these designations. The new Jerusalem, which is coming down onto the new earth, and there are new heavens. So when you say, I'm going to die and go to heaven, the question is, where is that? And what are you referring to? Uh, right now, we would kind of think of it in terms of this place. Um, there are those that teach soul sleep. That is that once you die, you simply, you're, 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 you sleep until the resurrection. You're, you're not conscious of anything. Um, but the account of, of what goes on in Hades would, would argue differently, that there is a consciousness going on during this time um, of, of waiting for the work of Christ and its completion um, in, as we have read in Revelation. So we have the new heaven, the, the new earth. Is it plural? i got to make sure. Sorry, it's singular. I thought about that when I wrote it down. New heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. Now, in the Greek, the heavens refer the heaven refers to the atmosphere, the air you breathe. Heaven refers to the celestial regions um, out there where the stars are, and heaven also refers to the abode of God. And so, when you talk about the heavens, uh, and Paul says, "I was I was taken up to the third heaven," he was referring to that last one that he was lifted to that point. And so, we have those levels of heaven um, described. But in the new creation, if you will, in, in chapter 21, verse 1, um, that come, um, there's no evidence of sin. We talked about that. That's why there's no sea. The sea is an evidence of the wrath of God being poured out on the earth because of the sin of Noah's day. Um, and again, we saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, and so... Now, it says, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he'll dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And again, this full description that we looked at, and everything, says in verse 5, will be made new. And so we usually think of 
heaven, normally what's coming into our mind should be this, our final place. This is normally what you're thinking of, but the problem is, is you don't think of it as a new created place. You think of it as this, and generally, here's our picture of heaven. What does it look like? There's a bunch of clouds. There are lots of harpists around. Hopefully, you'll be one of them. There is a gate somewhere, the pearly gates, um, and, and there's a guy checking you in or out, um, and uh, you just kind of float around up there. And we basically brought the concept of heaven um, uh, into something that I got to tell you as a young person, I wasn't really thrilled about. Sounded kind of boring to me. Uh, But that's not how the Bible describes the eternal state. In fact, it's going to be very similar to what we will experience in the millennial kingdom, where there will be an earth and there will be a city There will be heaven. So there will be all the things that we saw God create that were very good. He's going to recreate. And the idea that somehow there's not going to be that kind of spatiality is really very foreign to God's word. In our new bodies, we will have a new residence. Not only only in the presence of God, we talk about, I've got a mansion. I was going to sing that one tonight too and have you tell me what was what, what uh, wasn't quite biblical in that one. Uh, we have the idea to have a mansion up there, um, and we almost start to sound like those Islamic people that want to go have 70 virgins or something, and, you know, I'm going to go up there, and, and we know they're streets of gold, um, but we haven't really clarified many times what the Bible really is describing. So we want to do that, because the Bible does it, and so it's worthwhile to talk about and to discover especially this morning, because that's one of the category of promises that you're standing fast upon from this morning's message. And so let's uh, set a few things clear. Uh, Number one, there will be time. A lot of people think when I get to heaven, there will be no more time. There is no indication of that. In fact, there is very clear indication that that is wrong, that there will be time in heaven, um, it just simply that you will not age in the process of that, that you will be timeless in terms of your ability to live. You will live eternally. It doesn't mean that time ceases to exist, um, but rather that, that the, your new bodies are now uh, able to live throughout all of it um, without aging. And so... Uh, we're going to get rid of the idea there's no time. Because there is. You say, Pastor, how do you know there will be time? Well, let's look at it. Chapter 21. You're there? Okay. No, let's go to 22. I'm sorry. It's 22 that's very exciting. Um, it says, in the middle of its street, verse 2 is where I'm at, in the middle of its street, on either side of the, either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. How do you measure months? By the passage of days. How do you measure days? By the passage of time. 
And so my contention is, is that there are going to be months, there must necessarily be days, for the measure of it is that each month, and, and interesting that God doesn't change time, um, that there's still 12 months to a year. Uh, and you might say, that's kind of weird. Why are there, are there going to be seasons? Um, well, monthly seasons, because there's going to be a different fruit coming off of the tree of life each month, which necessitates uh, and certainly begs that there will be a measurement of time. Um, whether that measurement is comparable to ours, that is, is it a 24 hours built on 60 minutes per hour, um, can be brought into question, certainly, because we know that the size and dimensions of the earth are going to be seeming, the new earth are going to be different just, uh, from uh, the current one, from all the evidence we see, and that we are going to see. And so there's a passage of time. There's going to be months. And to pass days, you also have to have, from our understanding of it, you have to have sun and moon. Now, before you think that, well, night is evil, remember, it was very good. So if you're wondering, am I going to have nighttime to rest? The answer is yes and no. Some are. And others aren't. What? Well, there's one place that is described as being illuminated always. Just like in the millennial kingdom, this is the abode of Jesus Christ. And so when we think about there will be no night, there will be no day, it's referring to the new Jerusalem, not to the new earth. Um, And when it talks about in verse 5, there shall be no night there, they need no lamp nor light of the sun, For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so much like here, Jesus Christ is the light of the new Jerusalem. That does not preclude that there will be other heavenly bodies. In fact, I think the designation of new heaven implies that that will be the case. That there will be heavenly bodies. There is a way, a means to measure off days by, here, there's the sun, and there's the moon, and that's that's a day. Can they be extended? Certainly. Okay, if, if some of you really like your sleep, and you, you might have a 20-hour night followed by a 20-hour day. I don't know. Maybe a 40-year night followed by... Four, no. <laughs> um, but you have this description given of this passage of time, which I think necessitates a day and night. It's implied in the idea of a new earth and a new heaven that it isn't going to be so strange to us in eternity. It's not going to be just radically, totally different. We're floating around on clouds, strumming harps, and all got our little halos connected somehow and earning our wings. You know, that idea needs to be eradicated from your thinking because that is not the heaven God has designed, and nor are any of you going to become angels, nor were any of you ever angels. And you should be glad, very glad that that is not the case, okay? So when we come to the new Jerusalem and the new heaven and the new earth, we want to uh, see what the Bible actually says. And what we find is that the new earth is very much, and the new heaven very much, it seems, like this one. It even refers to the sun. The sun doesn't need to shine in the new Jerusalem, but it doesn't mean there is no sun. So we start measuring things off. And we start describing this new Jerusalem, which is the bride. 
And so it is given twice to us, and that is an emphatic in Scripture. When you, that is given uh, two different ways, and so he saw it and recognized it as that. And then one of the seven angels, who were one of the bull angels um, with the last plagues, comes and says, um, "This is the bride," and uh, takes him into a great high mountain, holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, some people contend that it never arrives. And this is the way I was taught that there was um, the New Jerusalem and there was the New Earth and they never actually connected. Uh, This was kind of a heaven uh, elevated community. Um, I don't see any evidence of that in the scripture that I can tell. Uh, It just says that it came out of heaven. It doesn't say that it necessarily stayed in there. Um, Some of the versions do make that implication but I don't see it really in the Greek, but rather that here comes the residence of New Jerusalem. Now, I didn't draw this big enough. Hang on. The new earth. What's absent? Huh? Oceans. There are no seas, and we talked about that last week, so we know why there's no seas, because the seas are a result of the flood. Um, the Bible described three rivers. We don't know how big those rivers were, how wide they are, how, and so there's fishes in there, and, and the exciting thing of how salination happens of the oceans and uh, more evidence of a young earth that is there. Um, so we have an earth, um, and on that earth is a building, or a, a city. And I'm going to try to do this somehow. The city... Layout is a square. The length and width are the same. But then the Bible throws in one other piece of information about this city. What is it? It's that the height is equal to its width and length. And that throws in some interesting scenarios. Some people say, well, it's a giant cube. Uh, And that could very well be. We don't know. Um, My contention um, is that it could be pyramidic. Why is that more interesting than a cube? Um, Because it says that Christ is the light and that everything is flowing from the throne down. And a a pyramidic uh, structure fits that much better. So you have four faces and it describes the four. uh, You can't miss that in the description, right? There's four sides and each side was equal. They had tribes, gates on all sides the size equal, um, and uh, so there was, no one's closer to God than anyone else, uh, which makes him in the center. And in a pyramid where you have height, um, you have that capacity. So we have the city, New Jerusalem. Now, what's its foundation stones? I think there's very purposefulness in every aspect of the description even to the gemstones but i'm not a gemologist to really discover that but others have and they've connected the gemstones to different tribes and uh, things like that but i want to look at the foundation stones um, and on the gates those are the two facets of the new jerusalem that we are introduced to right away and i would contend there's a reason that one is one and one is the other Okay, so let's talk about the gates and the foundation stones. So the gates 
are named for who? The tribes. What are gates' purpose? What is the purpose of a gate? To go in and out, right? The purpose of a gate is entry and exit. From where? From outside of the city. So which means that on the new earth, there are going to be residents on the new earth. They're going to be going in and out of the city. And that tells us something. It tells us that not everybody is going to be resident in the city necessarily. There's going to be those coming in and out. And the fact that they name for the 12 tribes with three on each side, three times four is 12, that we have, I think, some indication of who it is that's going to be going in and out. Now, if you want to argue this point with me, that's okay. I don't know that it terrifically matters theologically, but it fits what we know of all the rest of the scripture because Israel is promised some different things than the church is promised. Israel is promised a land, a harvest. Israel is promised earthly things. The church is promised one or two things. You'll be with me, you'll rule with me. That's our eternal state, is that we will be with Christ. That is not really what the promises of God to Israel entailed. You'll be with the Messiah, the Deliverer. Um, no, it was the, the, the promises of, of God to Israel, beginning even back with Abraham, is I'll make you out of you many nations, that, that you will have this great bounty on the earth. And so uh, I think it is conforming with the promises of God that vary between Israel and the church um, to look at them as being the, the inheritors of the new earth. And I think the designation of the gates as being tribally named gives us some indication that they are going to be the ones using the gates. Now the foundation stones of the city are given the apostles' names. Right? little less information here. Um, verse 19, the foundation of the wall of the city are adorned with all kinds of precious stones, and there's 12 of them listed there. Um, and uh, then we have um, uh, some... Imp- oh, I'm sorry, I jumped ahead too far. 14, sorry. The wall of the city had 12 foundations on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so we have the foundation stones of this city... Um, that is the the the, the where the, that it was built on the foundations of it um, designated as the apostles. Foundation stones are are they for transporting? Are they for movement? They're permanent. Foundations are permanent. Gates are for movement. And so, as the apostles represent not Israel but the church, my contention is is that the New Jerusalem, as it's designated the bride is the permanent residence of the church, distinct from the saints, inclusive of uh, not just Israel, but also the other nations, um, even, and of course, pre-Abrahamic 
as well. And so I think there's strong evidence. Is it something I'm going to die for, that if you put me to the, to the rack that I'll never uh, rescind? No, um, but I think it's consistent with what we see all through Scripture and uh, what our expectation is. Our expectation is to be the residents of New Jerusalem on the new earth, largely resided by the Old Testament saints. With Jesus as the light of this place, while these people have months and years. Certainly months, days and months. The capacity to measure months. Whether they have seasons... Um, is unlikely, unless they're monthly. And so we find that uh, it's very similar. Remember, what God created was good. There's no reason to abandon that facet of creation. Um, What ruined it wasn't inherently in its design. What ruined it was our rebellion, our disobedience. Man's disobedience what ruined it, not its fundamental design. And so the design is expected to be reemployed, um, granted with pro- probably some variation. And so this new Jerusalem provides us our residence, and it is here that there is no night. Bummer. Just when I was getting to think I was going to be able to go out, there's no night. Uh, streets of gold, that's this place, New Jerusalem. And so what most people in the church age think of as heaven is technically the New Jerusalem. And that just as we saw when we talked about the lake of fire, that that's really the permanent place, not hell. Hell is usually Hades, a place of torment, um, and that is thrown in the lake of fire. Um, so for the believer, the New Jerusalem is, is really our eternal abode. You might say, well, that kind of rips because I don't get to walk around the new earth. Um, Take that up with God. I don't think you're going to want to leave his presence if you can avoid it. Um, That's not my plan. I think I'm going to have plenty to keep me active there. Um, Now, here's the really good news. You get to eat and drink in heaven. Again, those things aren't bad. Uh, There's nothing wrong with, with food and consumption and, and deriving life from another substance. We often hear people say, well, Jesus Christ is giving me eternal life, and that is absolutely accurate. Okay, I will never correct you on that. Um, just as we saw where, remember when the harlot was destroyed in our study in Revelation, and it said, who ate her? Who devoured her? Who, who destroyed her? Well, we have two different agents given credit with that. One were the ten kings who gave themselves over to the beast for a very short time. And they hated her and uh, destroyed her and ate her. Um, But then later on, we find them saying, God destroyed the harlot. False religion. So which one is it? Well, it's both. The ten kings became the agents of God in doing his work purposes. And so I believe that for all eternity there will be agents by which God gives us life that follow very similar to this created order. And so we have this description of a river. 
Maybe it's a cone. I don't know. That's going to come from the throne of God. We know that the river comes from the throne, and that is Jesus. And out of that river of life, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life. And so we have a river flowing down from Christ that waters everything. Um, We have it described with streets. Remember, the streets are gold. And you might say, why aren't they yellow? Your gold is yellow because of impurities. If gold were pure, it would be clear. Gold is yellow because of the impurities. And so once you get pure gold, you have clarity. Um, How would the writers of Scripture know that? Where would that come into their mind, that pure gold is clear? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I don't know that any of them have ever seen it, but that's what God described for them. And so we have this description of these streets of gold that are clear, and um, we see gates with pearls, and we we recognize that this is a beautiful place. This is a place that... uh, men are intended to live forever in and part of that is their sustenance and through the fruits and the water of the tr- of the of the river of life and the tree of life um, i believe we are being imparted with life from christ now that might sound in fact some people really tore me apart when i wrote that in my book um that you don't believe we have eternal life we have to gain it every day by eating and drinking um What's its origin? The origin of the water is who? Jesus Christ. And that water is going to feed those trees. They're going to feed on that. They're going to produce the fruit as we consume it. And as we use the trees, that's a fascinating description. The trees, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. That's an incredible description of of the necessity of that even into eternity. And so we find that God is going to transfer this life to us in a, I believe, a very worshipful way that we can, as we eat and consume these things, that the, these fruits, that we can give glory to him uh, and worship him as the origin of our life on a daily basis. That this is not a one time we arrive there and say, hey, I've got every last life. Thanks, Jesus, here I go but rather that every day we are recognizing that this life comes from Jesus Christ. Every day, this life comes from Christ. Every day, that water comes from his throne. It is life. And it is that means of one aspect of our worship for all eternity. And so we have these descriptions for us of the new heaven the new earth, the new Jerusalem, that all together would be capital H, capital E, capital A, capital V, capital E, capital N. Heaven. But it's really a, a, a recreation and a place with no sin. But yet we're still dealing with some of the consequences, not the consequences, but the, we're still dealing with some of the aspects that, 
that remind us that there was sin. I say, how can I be reminded that there was sin without then being tempted into that sin once again? And again, we look back to the fact that we are new creatures in Christ, that we are really now intended for this new Jerusalem place and not for this place. But there's evidence that we are still going to be reminded. Some people think, well, I'm going to get there. I'm not going to remember anything bad. I'm not going to remember that I was ever a sinner. I'm not going to remember that there anyone else is in the lake of fire. Uh, how could I possibly enjoy heaven um, and remember all of that? I have this question to ask those people. How can you possibly express gratitude to Jesus Christ without remembering any of that? How can you possibly worship him as a redeemed people if you never remember what you were redeemed from? And yes, even the people in the lake of fire are, is to God's glory. And we always think that glorifying his grace and mercy and goodness is good and glorifying his righteousness, holiness, and justice isn't fun. Um, but but they're equally important. So we have this wonderful description. And I just want to encourage you that um, you have a wonderful place waiting for you. Um, but let's look at Scripture and see what it involves. It involves God keeping all of his promises. And his promises to us are fulfilled in the New Jerusalem. And that's what we're looking forward to. And there will be other residents around outside of just the bride. And we'll see. Let's go, Lord. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. And we pray you might give us uh, a wonder at what you have waiting for us, that we might anticipate it, and in anticipation of it, walk uh, worthy of your name. Until that day, in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.